Now please remain standing and turn your Bibles to Deuteronomy 5. We'll be reading, of course, the fourth commandment, starting in verse 12. Deuteronomy 5, starting in verse 12. The fourth commandment. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy, as Yahweh your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to Yahweh your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates, that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and Yahweh your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, Yahweh your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. You may be seated. What if an alien came to earth and saw our calendar. What would he think of it? This alien would see the rising of the sun and its setting, and he would see the rising of the sun again in this regular interval called a day, so that the alien would easily account for that measurement day through the rotation of the earth on its axis. This alien would see that this earth rotates not only on its own axis, but around the sun, which creates the four seasons and easily accounts for the 365 and one-fourth day-year calendar that we have as humans, and he would account for the year. This alien would also see that the moon visibly waxes and wanes in its rotation around the earth, so that there are 12 cycles of the moon each time the earth does a full rotation around the sun, which would easily account for the 12 months that our calendar has. But this alien would not understand just from looking at the rotation of the earth or the heavenly bodies why we have seven days in a week. Yet strangely, the seven-day week is entrenched in human society. It's older than even the Hebrew writings themselves. The seven-day week was the assumption of even the oldest known societies on earth. Why? This is not obvious on the surface, perhaps to the alien but very obvious for the Christian. God is sovereign over time, and so his cycle of six days of work and one day of rest has been the way of human time since the beginning of time itself, when God instituted the seven-day work week, six days of work and one day of rest. I think it's interesting that many cultures uh, after this have tried to have different numbers of days in the work week. Noticeably, the French and the French Revolution tried to have 10 days in a week, This only worked for 14 years. People rebelled against it. As we all know, the French Revolution was a horrible failure. Uh, But it shows that God is sovereign over time. He is sovereign over time. It is not the heavenly bodies themselves, but the one who made the heavenly bodies who is sovereign. As we see in Deuteronomy and Exodus, this Sabbath time was especially the mark of Israelite life. Sabbath time. Anyone who has read their Bibles for themselves, they know the Sabbath is very important to God. God wrapped the entire Israelite calendar over the Sabbath, the weekly Sabbath, and the many other festival Sabbaths that came after. 
The seventh day, of course, was a, a time of rest for Israel called the Sabbath. And on the seventh month was the, the Feast of Trumpets and the central day of the calendar, the Day of Atonement. Every seven years was to be a Sabbath of rest for the land as it lay fallow. And the year after the seven intervals of seven, that is every 50 years, was the year of Jubilee, where debt was canceled and slaves were set free. The Jewish calendar was at every point the Sabbath calendar. All this is very interesting, yet we don't follow this calendar anymore. So as we enter into our passage, this ought to cause us to wonder. Why do we follow the seven-day work week still? Does the Sabbath apply to us anymore? If all of these Sabbaths, plural, monthly and yearly, don't apply to us, why does the weekly Sabbath apply to us if it does? Isn't the last day of the seven-day work week technically Saturday on our calendars? And wasn't Saturday the Sabbath to Israel? Why are we, on, well, why are we worshiping on Saturday, Sunday here today in the New Testament? So first, as we enter into our passage Let us speak about whether the Sabbath actually applies to us today, this fourth commandment. First, let's notice what God does not say in verse 12, the first verse of the fourth commandment. He says, observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy. He does not say, observe the Sabbaths, plural. Although the Sabbath months and Sabbath years were important in Israel during their time, this is not what's being commanded in the fourth commandment. Only the weekly Sabbath is here commanded in this fourth commandment. Deuteronomy 5 does not say Sabbaths as if the whole ceremonial calendar was being commanded here. What's being commanded here is not even Saturday, notice, or Sunday, neither of which is mentioned in this commandment. What is being commanded here is a cycle of six days of work and one day of rest. This is the commandment of the Lord who is sovereign over time. In the fourth commandment, the Lord shows us his sovereignty over time itself and especially our use of that time in the week. Every seventh day, we submit to his lordship in a special way. We worship him on the Sabbath. That day, whichever day the Lord designated that Last day of rest was to be. In the age of Israel, that seventh day, so to speak, was Saturday. In the age of Christ, that seventh day is Sunday because it's the Lord's day, which the day he was resurrected, as we have already seen from Revelation, as, as Jeremy has spoken about it. The day of our Lord's resurrection. In both cases, the commandment is the same. Whether the old covenant or the new, six days of work. One day of rest. This applies to, to us just as much as it did to Israel and anyone ever. But why? Where did this work week come from? It was, not, was it simply commanded out of nothing? No, it was commanded that we might be like God in our work. The rationale for the fourth commandment is that we work as God worked and works. This cycle of days came from God himself. It's not here first in the fourth commandment, actually, but from God's work in creation. The Sabbath is not something incidental to creation, as if it were just something attached to it. It is integral to creation. And the Sabbath, as we shall see, is even integral to God's work of redemption. 
is the goal of our redemption. It is the goal of creation itself. So let us examine Genesis 2, the first Sabbath, the Sabbath of God, and why it matters to us. The Sabbath is no word only for ancient Jews. It is a word for us. So second, let us speak of why the Sabbath applies to us as we go to Genesis 2. The word Sabbath here in our passage in Deuteronomy 5 means stop or to stop. And it was first used to describe God's activity in Genesis 2. It also means to rest. Thus, the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the hosts of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested, Shabbat, on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, God rested, Shabbat, from all his work that he had done in creation. The word Sabbath comes from the word Shabbat, as I was speaking of to stop or to rest. It describes what God did after his six days of creation work. On the seventh day, he rested. Notice again that God does not say Saturday or Sunday he rested here any more than he does in the the fourth commandment. A few things we ought to learn from this in this passage. First, this event of God's resting on the seventh day is the reason that Exodus 20 gives for the Sabbath. It says, remember the Sabbath day. Of course, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. The reason for our Shabbat is because we remember God's Shabbat, his Sabbath. The reason we do the fourth commandment is because God desires that we imitate God. As he says elsewhere, be holy for I am holy. We imitate God, the sovereign God, and how we work six days on, one day off. Second, we must notice that God had six full days of work, or days full of work, and only then did he rest. Notice the command in Deuteronomy 5.13, six days you shall labor and do all your work. The Sabbath is a command to work six days, just as much as it is a command to rest one day. We Christians are commanded to be like God and to work. Just as God's rest followed upon his own work and depended upon his work of creation, so too our rest is dependent upon our six days of work. If we cannot rest on the Sabbath day, it may be that we have not worked like God on the other six days. Rest can only come from a context of work. If we really desire to rest, then let us be diligent in our work like God, and only then can we rest like God. And most importantly, third, we learn from God's Sabbath or his Shabbat in Genesis 2 why the Sabbath applies today, because it will always apply to all creation. This Sabbath was from the very beginning. The Sabbath may look different depending upon the advancement of redemption. The first at creation here in Genesis 2, then in Israel here in Deuteronomy 5, and then after Christ in the New Testament as we are here, and then for eternity. Depending upon the advancement of redemption, it will look differently, but the substance will always be the same from the very beginning. The Sabbath applies to us just as much as it applied even to sinless Adam and Eve in the garden. The Sabbath is a creation ordinance, and therefore always part of God's eternal plan for humanity. 
This shows us that if Adam, in his sinless purity, needed a Sabbath to worship God, how much more do we sinful, fallen humans need a Sabbath to worship God? The Sabbath is essential for us. Although it is eternal, this discussion of God's eternal creation, in the eternal creation, that is the Sabbath, naturally brings us to the question of how the Sabbath applies to us today. That is, what is the quality of our rest in distinction to God's rest in our Sabbath activity today? What is the fourth commandment really teaching us to do? If we follow the six-day work week and then we have one day of rest, even if we're unbelievers, have we followed the commandment? Does it matter what we do on the rest of the day or on the day of rest? What is the quality of that rest? First, the quality of our rest is not inactivity. The quality of our rest on the Sabbath is a rest of activity. Like God's rest in Genesis 2, it is not a rest of inactivity. It is not a slothful rest or a lazy rest. Any more than God's Genesis 2 rest is a rest of inactivity. He is active. God rested, yes. He rested, yet the Lord still upholds the world even to this day. He still did the work of redemption and applies it to us at this day and continues to chasten his, his children, the church, for his, for his glory and our good even to this day. The rest which we are called to in the fourth commandment is not inactivity any more than God is inactive. It is a command to a certain type, a restful type of activity especially worship. The fourth commandment is as much a command to do a certain type of work as it is a command to abstain from a certain work. It is, as Deuteronomy 5 says, a holy day. That is, a day set apart. In the Old Testament, this was the day of special, formal worship of God. This is the first aspect as we are asking the how of how the Sabbath applies to us in our active rest, the first aspect of our active Sabbath rest is worship activity. Isaiah 66, 23 confirms this. From month to month and from Sabbath to Sabbath, all flesh shall come to worship before me, declares the Lord. This is your obligation from the fourth commandment. The Lord's day is worship time. As Leviticus 23.3 says, Six days shall work be done, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy rest. Our rest is unto God and not unto ourselves. Isaiah 58 convicts us when God says, If you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, says God, if you honor it, not going to your own ways, or seeking your own pleasure, or talking idly, then you shall take delight in the Lord. The intent of the Sabbath is not to have our rest, as we might define it, nor our pleasure, as we might define it, but to have holy pleasure, as God says. If you turn towards God and his pleasure, then you shall take delight in the Lord, so he says. The Lord's day is a day to especially take delight in God, in formal family, and private worship. This means that the Sabbath is not a command merely to ministers or to elders or deacons. It is a command to you and especially to those who are heads of households. You have a responsibility to lead your family in worship. 
upon this holy day. Here, Leviticus, even in the Old Testament, here Leviticus 23.3, again, characterized the Lord's Day for non-priests. The Sabbath shall be a solemn rest in all of your dwelling places. We are to worship not only here in this building, but in our homes, as Leviticus 23.3 says. The Lord does not say that it is only to be part of our day of rest, that we are here, or in only one place that we rest. But it says the whole Sabbath, the whole Sabbath day is a day of rest, a.m. and p.m. It is especially providential that a sermon on the fourth commandment should come one week before the Super Bowl, and on the very day where we have started a new practice of worshiping the Lord, both in the a.m. and p.m. on every Lord's Day. This was not by the session's design. I did not start this series on the Ten Commandments only to get to the Fourth Commandment, nor did we plan for the Fourth to be preached at the time of our decision. It was simply God's meeting, providence upon this. I would point you to the report that the session approved for more understanding upon the a.m. and p.m. worship, but it is based upon this principle, which I will give you in short. The Lord did not institute half a day for worship. He instituted the whole day. We Christians believe what God has said in the Old Testament. As long as it is not abolished in the New Testament, fulfilled in Christ, it still has relevancy for us. For example, there is no command in the New Testament to formally worship God. In the New Testament, we don't have this. But we continue to worship God formally because of the command that comes from the Old Testament, right here in the fourth commandment. If it's in the old, it's not abrogated and not abrogated by the work of Christ. It is still in effect for us. The fourth commandment says that we are to worship God the whole day. Six days we are to to work, one day we are to rest. Not part of it, but the whole. How, How could this be done? Does God expect us to travel to the church building on Saturday night, sleep in the pews fully dressed, and then wake up immediately where we start worshiping God and not stop worshiping until we fall asleep 16 hours later. Is this what he means? Is this how God has told us to sanctify this whole day? If God had not given us guidance upon this issue, then this would actually be our assumption. God gives us guidance in the Old Covenant where he commanded only two services on the Sabbath, an a.m. and a p.m worship service. These two were a symbol of the whole day and where they worshiped God. That was expected from the fourth commandment. From morning to evening, Israel worshiped. So because God has not abrogated this way of worship in the a.m. and p.m., it has abiding significance to us and force for our lives. Therefore, we worship God in the whole day, and especially through God's appointed means of twice in formal worship on a.m. and p.m., and throughout the day, otherwise, in informal worship, where we help our family to worship if we are heads of households, or we worship ourselves individually. The Lord's sovereignty over time means that we do not give him only part of what is due to him, but the whole of what is due to him, a.m. and p.m. Hence, we are worshiping him tonight in a formal p.m. service. This is not a command from your elders, Please believe this, or else read the report and try to refute us. This is something we are convicted of from God and his word that it teaches us as a command. 
If you have any questions or you're not convinced, come to us and speak to us, especially this day, as we are all meeting at each other's houses. Now, this kind of schedule may seem arduous. And as we have been speaking, there is real work to be done on the Sabbath. No one knows the real ardor of the Sabbath more than the ministers. It's a day filled with the work of piety for us. Worship can really feel like arduous work sometimes. I'm sure, as mothers out there know, when you have many kids, it can be a difficult time. But let me encourage you. We often say that we want a job that we will never have to work a day of our lives. And what we mean by that is that we do this job naturally. Well, brothers and sisters, worship is that work, the worship that we are made to do. We might have some difficulties here and there. It may feel like toil at one time or another, given our sinfulness, but this is the job that you were made to do, the job that we were, as our nature is given, to worship God. This is what we have. Consider the things you get to do on the Sabbath day. Consider the joy of salvation in Christ, and the job of worship will be something that is wonderful. It is something we are created to do without toil, and the Sabbath will indeed be rest. But I must also reiterate, the Sabbath is for physical rest as well. It is a day of rest. Take a nap. And speaking of, this is the second aspect. As we spoke of the first aspect, that it is a time for worship activity. The second aspect of our active Sabbath rest is, after works of piety, works of necessity. Enjoy good food. And don't enjoy, that you don't enjoy on other days. Celebrate the Lord's Day as a feast day and make it a special day by celebrating God's creation like God commands us in Exodus 20. In moderation, works of necessity like food and sleep are certainly permissible. Again, the Sabbath is not a place where we rest from work specifically, but as the Westminster Shorter Catechism says, a day where we are free from servile work. Which work which is done for our worldly gain or our livelihood or for our profit. As Exodus 34, 21 says, Six days you shall work, but on the seventh you shall rest. In shearing time and in harvest time you shall rest. These are works of profit, of toil. Jesus and his disciples in Matthew 12 did a work of necessity when they, on the Sabbath, harvested grain for their immediate hunger. But were they to have actually harvested on the Sabbath day, intending to sell it, or something of this sort, they would not have done a work of necessity and sinned against God's fourth commandment. Instead of these public employments of harvesting or shearing for profit, we are instead to hear the word preached, to read the word, to join in public prayers and praises, and partake of the sacraments, and do the rest of physical necessity. These are the works of piety alongside the works of necessity, eating, sleeping, drinking. We also have this third aspect of our active Sabbath rest, which is along worship, alongside acts of necessity, works of mercy. Say someone is a ditch, in a ditch or they are in danger. Do we just leave them there? We ought to help them, in fact, even on the Lord's day. If someone is hungry or starving, we do not leave them, but we help them. Why? Because the example of our Lord Jesus Christ When a man with a shriveled hand or a man born blind came to Christ, did he call the mercy of healing work? 
or toil? And did not heal him on the Sabbath day? No, he healed them on the Sabbath day. Works of mercy are permissible. So in sum, this is how the Sabbath applies to us. What is the quality of our Sabbath rest? We rest the whole day, a.m. and p.m., in works of worship, works of necessity, and works of mercy. To apply these three a little bit more to us today, a work of necessity looks like those jobs, like a police officer or utility workers. Works of mercy are like firemen and doctors or nurses. And we witness works of religion every Sunday with elders and deacons working hard for the benefit of the congregation. We often can twist these categories, unfortunately, of rest for our own pleasure and idols. I know that as a student, as a student, it can feel like you must study on Sunday for your test that is on Monday. I know, as a member of a family, it can feel like you must follow the conventions of your family and go shopping or the like on Sunday. But if Christians know anything in these days, we know this. Feelings do not control us. Feelings ought not to control us. Truth must control us. And the truth is, you don't need to do those things if they're against God's law. Part of the gospel in the Sabbath is this. You need not and should not be a slave to work or hobbies or even society. You are part of the exodus and you have been taken from those taskmasters into rest. Why are we returning to Egypt and saying, I must, I must, I must to our weekly taskmasters and not submitting to the rest of our Lord? God is no taskmaster. Here's a simple way to keep the Sabbath holy to our loving Sabbath Father, to summarize what we have said about the quality of our rest. Simply put, find your joy in the Lord and do what you will. That is, if you enjoy God and submit to him, then you will always, almost always, fulfill Sunday rest. There are many questions about the Sabbath, and we must think upon how to fulfill them. But if you seek To love God, then you will naturally understand better and better, even in the moment, what the Sabbath requires of you, what the Lord requires. This is the work of a lifetime. You will love your fellow Christians in fellowship and hospitality. Look toward mercy and worship the Lord and the splendor of his holiness. And enjoy the day of rest with your ear toward his commandments. And through love of God, the Lord's day will be spent without any difficult questions. Love the Lord, find joy in him, and do what you will, as Augustine might say. Let us remember the simple rule of Jesus Christ. It is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. A simple rule from Matthew 12, 12, and let us do good. Let us do good on the day of good and sanctify it for that purpose, first to God and then to our neighbor. And we will have sanctified the whole day to God without hardship or difficulty, the day filled with joy and blessing. This love of God and joy in him brings us to our final consideration. Finally, why are we to worship on the Lord's day? We see the first reason in Exodus 20 and the second in Deuteronomy 5 that this worship of God and his creation is from Exodus 20. We worship God on the Lord's day because of his creation work. And we worship God on the Lord's day because, in Deuteronomy 5, his work of redemption 
God says, says that we are to observe the Sabbath because God saved Israel. Verse 15. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. We do not worship God merely for the earthly exodus of the Jews, however. No, we celebrate on the Sabbath the exodus of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ alone set the captives free from their bondage to sin and Satan. This exodus was pointing forward to the work of Christ. Jesus Christ alone saved his people from death and set them free to liberty and eternal rest with God. Hebrews 4 tells us this, as we read earlier. tells us the Sabbath rest that we have now in the New Testament. Our worship here at Christ's covenant on Sunday is not the final Sabbath rest. This worship was not God's goal for his people. This Sabbath rest that God intended for us is yet to come. Eternal rest is is the goal, and it has always been the goal of creation. Sabbath rest in heaven. That eternal rest was the goal even in the garden with Adam. It was the goal of his existence and our existence from the very beginning to come into the eternal Sabbath rest with God. This is our end, brothers and sisters. Adam failed to enter that rest, but God would not fail in his intention. Instead of letting us perish in hell, God sent Christ that he might bring us to that Sabbath rest and redemption. God would not let his bride perish without the loving rest that he had prepared for her in eternity. So he sent his son to fetch himself a people, the bride of Christ, those of faith. Brothers and sisters, the exodus that Christ accomplished for us that we remember on this Sabbath day is not an exodus to toil. Jesus says, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Learn from me and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The sovereign God over time, Jesus Christ himself, did not give us the Sabbath to burden us but rather to make our burden in this world lighter, and save us finally from every burden and toil. He gave us the Sabbath to more anchor our souls upon the eternal Sabbath in Christ Jesus, and not to hope in this time nor in our time, but to look for the Sabbath rest of Christ, which each Lord's Day gives a foretaste of. The eternal Sabbath is not yet for us, but that means today is the day of opportunity as Hebrews 4 tells us. Who knows how long until the eternal Sabbath is upon us. May the Lord shorten the time, but we may only enter that rest through the exodus of Christ Jesus, or else we will be brought down as Pharaoh was brought down. It was not by Israel's righteousness that God saved them. It was not by Israel's sinlessness that God gave them the blessed Sabbath. No Israel was sinful and dumb as we are. It was God's grace that brought Israel out. It was God's grace in Christ that brought Israel out of bondage. If you're still in bondage to sin and Satan, then God's rest is held out to you today. As long as it is called today. Are the burdens of your sin upon you? Do you feel them upon you? Are you yearning for what is right and true? Do you Spend your strength for that which is not bread. 
God's rest is held out to you in Christ Jesus. Repent and believe in Christ, Christian and non-Christian, and you will be saved unto eternal rest. And we have a taste of that rest even today. When Jesus says, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest, that is a guarantee from the mouth of God. It is a promise. That is God's claim upon you, Christian. This rest is yours if you are Christ's. The Sabbath rest we enjoy is indeed a blessing, but the Lord's day will give way to a day of greater blessing. The day of the Lord where some will go to everlasting punishment and others to everlasting rest with Christ. Our rest is to be at liberty, to be with Christ and away from our sin. Praise God that Christ purchased that rest for those of faith. And through faith, although this life is indeed sometimes arduous, and even our Sabbath rest seems arduous to us, we even now partake of the portion of that Sabbath rest as Christ is ours and we are Christ's. Why are we to worship on the Lord's day? Our final question, brothers and sisters, because of the work of Christ. For those who repent and believe, we are part of that eternal rest set before us for his bride, the blessed wedding feast of the Lamb, where we will dwell with God in active, blessed, holy rest for all eternity. It is as if our hearts are transported out of time into the eternal rest In our worship here this evening and this morning, we do not have the Sabbath rest to come right now. But we partake in that heavenly rest in part even now as the Lord communes with his people. Praise to our Lord that he has given us this fourth commandment and promised that those who trust in his salvation will be blessed by it because we are blessed by him. The sovereign God over time and eternity who would not let sin come between eternal communion with his people. Let us praise on this special day the God of eternal blessedness and love for his elect. We can't do these Ten Commandments as we have continually come to these commandments. They are too high and too great for us. And there is only one who has fulfilled these commandments, Christ Jesus the righteous. And it is upon his righteous keeping of the fourth commandment that he will tell us, Well done, good and faithful servant. Come and enter your Father's rest. Let us go to him in prayer. Our Lord, our Father, we thank you for this rest that you have prepared for us from all eternity, that we might be with you, that we might have the blessing of working for you, of this active life. Lord, we pray that as we look forward to that day, that we would indeed work and work hard as long as it's called today that we would repent of our sin, that we would do the work that is before us, whether we are fathers or mothers, husbands or wives, whether we work in the home or out. Lord, we pray that we would work hard, for this is the work that you have given us. Lord, that we would rejoice in the creation that you have given us, as you tell us from Exodus 20. And on this Lord's day, we would rejoice in the salvation of Jesus Christ, held out to all people for rest, true and lasting, eternal rest. Lord, as our minds wreak havoc within us, as our bodies do not respond to what we want them to do, as we have all these sicknesses, all this death, we long for that Sabbath day to come where we will see you as you are and worship you for all eternity and the things that we enjoy doing. 
This Lord's Day, we pray, Lord, that we would worship you and continue to learn how to enjoy. Lord, that we would go to your word and praise you. Lord, that your Holy Spirit would work within us, that you would use our works to hasten this day of your coming, the eternal rest of God. Come soon, we pray, O Lord, in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.